You are now listening to This Week Explained. Welcome to This Week Explained. As always, I'm Tiana with Kervin as my co-host. Together, we'll help you understand the complexities of our dynamic, ever-changing world. But first, the latest episode of Insightful Inquiries was released this week, or more specifically, Sunday of last week, I guess. But so close to the beginning of this week. May as well. This yeah. week. <laughs> Anyways, Kervin, do you have a clip that you want to share? Uh, I sure do. And the guest was Major um, Logan Phillips. He he's an author. He's still in the military he's, as a major. Um, but he tells this story when he was a commander for basic training about one of the recruits he met while he was the commander there. And so that's what this clip is about. And so I'm, I'm trying to give him this rousing speech of, oh, well, you, you got to have faith in your equipment, private. You know, we've we have this special equipment and, and faith in your training. We've got we've been working with you and we've been doing this. For everybody else, faith in yourself. You know, thousands and thousands of people have done this before you. Uh, but at the end of the day, have faith in us. We, you know, we are your family and we're going to make sure that you're squared away and, and you're safe and that you do this. And it, he looks up with tears in his eyes and he says, I've never had a family. Sweet, sweet, but, you know, sad story. But I'm glad that Recruit had support through oh, Logan. Yeah. So... Anyways, if you have a moment or a few moments, please give this episode of Insightful Increase a listen. Yeah, once you're done listening to this episode, you can go dive to, right in. <laughs> dive right in. It's the next episode. It'll it'll pop right up. But yeah, thank you so much for that clip, Carbon. So let's get to why everyone is here. What is on the agenda this week? All right, we have. Uh, Russia, Ukraine, obviously Israel, Hamas, we'll get into. Uh, but then I want to talk about uh, Putin, who's traveling to the Middle East. It's one of his first international travels since the uh, uh, the ICC put out a warrant for his arrest. Then we're going to get into how Russia is expanding its ties with Niger even more. Uh, that's setting the stage for geopolitics on the African continent. Moving away from Russia, we're going to talk Belarus. Belarus is seeking stronger ties with China. We're not moving that far away from Russia. Right. Talk about <laughs> Belarus. <laughs> Just cross the border. Just and some would border. even ask why there's a border right there. Yeah. Um, but from there, we'll transition to more talk about China. But this time, we'll put Italy in there. And Italy is pulling out of the Belt and Road Initiative. Already? Yep. The, well, the, we'll talk about this, but it's okay. re-upping at the end of the year, and they have said they're not going to re-up. They were like, mm, the no thanks. Oh, 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 oh China. To the China conversation, uh, I'm sure a lot of people saw this, but Meta took down, Meta, which owns Facebook and Instagram, took down uh, quite a few Chinese troll farm accounts. Uh, mm -hmm. We're going to get into what those troll farm accounts were trying to do. And what does that mean for the future of social media? And then we're going to end with what might be the next conflict that jumps to the top of our boards. Uh, and that's the fact that uh, Venezuela voted to take over Esequibo and take all the oil reserves that are there. So 
Well, fun times in the world. Uh, let's get right into it. So what is the latest coming out of Ukraine? Well, you know, last week we discussed how the weather was slowing down both sides in uh, between Russia and Ukraine. So that's continuing right now. They're still at a, a stalemate and a standstill. But the main news of the week had nothing to do with the battlefield. It had everything to do with the trajectory of this war for both sides. Now, you and I have spoken on several occasions about how the longer this war drags on, the less likely Ukraine is going to be able to defend itself. Right. Now, this week, the U.S. informed Ukraine that funding is drying up here in America for support for Ukraine in the war. Congress and the House of Representatives uh, continue to debate. Right now, they have failed to vote in favor of funding for both Ukraine and Israel due to some other disputes uh, domestically in the U.S. Of course, of course. So So they're going to, yeah, they're going to continue to debate this issue um, and whether they're going to fund Ukraine's military or not. So where do you stand on this? Well, look, uh, a budget is finite. I mean, we all know that. Can we tell Congress that, though? Right. They're spending it on a bunch of dumb stuff. Exactly. And, and I'm not even talking I'm not even just talking exclusively about the conflicts that we're funding or, you know, I'm saying dumb stuff domestically. <laughs> right. You know, we, we talk about the, the shrimp on treadmills. I always bring that one up. I know that's yeah. a dated one from 2014. Yeah, we, we've got to We've got to look up more dumb things because, you know, they're still funding dumb stuff like that. Yeah, and, and this is also the current debate is all focused on um, securing the border. And so Republicans want the, the a secure border and they're not going to give up funding for Ukraine and Israel until that happens. But there's also other things, you know, it's it's crazy. Politics is crazy in the U.S. Uh, there's so much that so many hands that I need money and I need money for all of this. And, mm-hmm. and that's what's what's happening. And money like a budget is finite. There's only so much money to go around and no country to include the U.S., can indefinitely support Ukraine. And that's just a fact. You know, th- that doesn't mean that that person or the country doesn't support Ukraine's sovereignty or they somehow support Russia. Mm-hmm. It, it's just reality. The forever right. wars are financially unsustainable. Draining, yeah. They have to, you have to stop at some point. We saw that as Americans ourselves, we had a 20-plus year global war on terror. And it had to stop because there was just no more funding for it. Um, This is also just not a U.S. problem. Bulgaria this week came out and blocked additional weapons that are going to Ukraine as well. Oh, geez. So do you think this is just war fatigue or do you think countries are less inclined to send money and munitions to Ukraine because they sense a global conflict coming and they want to restock their own munitions in their militaries to protect themselves. It's a great observation. And and I think once again, as I always say, both things can be true or uh, as I see it, both things are true. Look, we are one of the few places like this podcast is one of the few places you're still going to hear talk about the war in Ukraine until they start going to the negotiating table. Right. And then, and then we're still going to report on it. <laughs> We're going to report on it, but I think it's yeah. going to pick up steam in, in the media that, hey, we're, this may be coming to an end. The leaders around the country, around the, the globe, have turned their focus to Israel and Hamas 
And then there's China and North Korea that continue to get bolder and bolder every day. I do believe that all the leaders around the world see a trend towards global conflict in yeah. the next decade. And they want to protect themselves and their people. So do you think 2024 brings the two countries to the negotiating table for a peace deal? Or do you think it'll remain a stalemate? Well, I think that's going to depend on the 2024 elections in, in Russia. So Ukraine may start to feel pressure during the during early 2024, but it won't mm-hmm. make sense to negotiate until we see where Putin's support is within Russia. But you also... You don't believe the elections are fair in Russia, so the voting will show a lot of support for Putin, right? Yeah, but you have to take those numbers and analyze what they actually mean with the understanding that it's not a legitimate election. Okay. So forward-facing publicly, the support may seem strong, but the looking at the numbers closely, it could show cracks in, in Putin's armor. So we're not going to get the bad news from Russia. So it's going to be key to get like unbiased open source information and then run those numbers against what the regime was expecting in terms of support. Now, Putin hasn't even declared that he's running yet. So I think it's pretty much, you know, understood. (laughs) Right. Uh, But but the intrigue in this election is super high because he has. So, you know, we have candidates in the U.S. that have been running to, to be the candidate for over a year now. And oh, we, is that what well, I mean, since it's unfair, he doesn't have to work that hard. Yeah, that's true. You know? There's no debates he, going on. Yeah, he, he doesn't, he's not debating himself. <laughs> so, I mean, there's no, he doesn't need to run around the country yeah. promoting himself. And <laughs> I would say if he doesn't run for president, that would be the major shock of all the elections in 2024. Yeah, nothing else would surprise me more than that. Uh Um, And that's I say that because Russia changed their constitution recently just so Putin could run again. So he's got to. I I don't know what the intended outcome would be if he like tries to prop someone else up. But if he did, I would that's some serious 4D chess from the Russian Federation. So you think there is very little chance that he ushers in a new era within the Russian government? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, the, the percentage is like 2% right now. The, right. That would even happen. And that's that unless... Seems, that even seems a little high. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I like to put some high numbers up there, like 2%. <laughs> You're um, giving everybody false hope that he's right. Yeah, never mind. He's going to be like Kevin McCarthy, who's not running again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you probably have better odds getting the Powerball numbers correct uh, this yeah. week. Uh, that's unless something drastic happens in the next three months. So uh, I see it that Putin's going to run. He's going to be elected. And that's just, it's going to be how how much he's elected by. That's the numbers that we're going to be looking up. And this is all because power is very difficult. It's a very difficult thing to give up. And we in the U.S. have our own election problems. We've got two candidate, probable candidates who are over 75 years old and Ugh. should probably not be running. But power is such a strong force that a guy that is, was elected president and said he's going to run one one term, it cannot give it up because his own people within his administration will let him. It's not easily given up. Well, if everyone thought 2023 was a super crazy year, get ready for 2024. Yeah. Right. So things are only going to get more bizarre in the 
um, arena of um, elections. Yeah, the world get your bingo card arena. ready. So let's talk Israel and Hamas. Over the weekend, the ceasefire, for lack of a better term, ceased. What can you tell us about the current state of things in Gaza? Well, right now, what we're seeing are some of the heaviest fighting since the start of Israel's air and ground assault. Um, that's mm. focused on uh, Khan Yunis in the south of Gaza. Uh, Israel is uh, doing artillery shelling and gunfire through the city. Hamas has also been firing rockets into Israel. They've also, uh, there was a, a killing of three civilians in Israel, I think. And then, you know, in, in Gaza, Israel's bombardment has killed dozens to hundreds of civilians. Um, so it's not good on the ground. And simultaneously, operations are still continuing in Gaza's north. Uh, that was the initial focus of Israel's efforts. And, and their focus is to destroy Hamas, to crush Hamas. So the IDF has acknowledged ground forces engaging in Khan Yunus. So what's their stated objective there? Well, this is uh, according to Israeli Major General Yaron Finkelman. Uh, he's head of Israel's Southern Command. The IDF is targeting senior Hamas leaders in Khan Yunus. Uh, they've surrounded, they've said they've surrounded one of the leaders' residences and they're looking to um, engage with that leader, hoping to, you know, take him. But the other option is to kill him, eliminate him. That's right. what they're working on right now. Now, the, the operations, all of these operations have intense firefights that are going on within civilian areas. Uh, and then there's the destruction of some military targets. So weaponry and terrorist infrastructure that's in the area. So obviously, the civilian impact has been hugely significant, with hundreds of thousands forced to flee their homes. Um, how is Israel managing this, and what about the warnings to civilians? <laughs> well, I guess that uh, what I also say is it depends on what side you you read or you believe. Some would say Israel is not is not uh, what? managing that situation very well. Because they are killing civilians. Um, Thousands. Right. Now, to get to the question about warning civilians so they can get out before these bombardments happen. Right. They're using robocalls. Who answers a robocall? Not many of us. answers. And also, like, with everything that's been going on, how do they have landlines still working or their phones still working? Yeah, it's going to be through cell or satellite phone. Um, okay. A lot of those are not wor working, but that's why they're also using, they're also promoting online maps. So, so they have the internet too? Yeah, you can get, well, it's all all satellite based. Um, and in a lot of places within the Middle East, that's where you're going to get your, your most or you know your best stuff, internet. Whenever, during conflicts or during natural coups. disasters or something like or coups all that stuff becomes shaky at best you can't get through because everybody's trying to use the stuff at once or it's just like blacked out yeah and that's why so i like using robocalls calls and online maps it's not very efficient it doesn't, it doesn't and that's, seem that's like it'd be efficient the most important aspect that they're utilizing are um one is to make announcements over loudspeakers 
So a lot of religious sites have loudspeakers on them to, to mm-hmm. make announcements for prayers and stuff. They're utilizing that to okay. inform people to get out. They're also dropping leaflets to warn civilians. Now, uh, and then those leaflets will have sort of the maps on there to show them where to go for safer zones. Okay. Like we've talked about before, Hamas has warned people not to do that because they want to use civilians as human shields. Right. And they've warned civilians that don't leave because Israel is just going to take your house. Uh, so we are dealing with that portion of as it well. Too. So they're trying to listen to their government. Yeah. yeah the people okay. they trust. Yeah. I mean, um, that's what anyone would do in that situation. Yeah. And and it's, it's a challenging situation, especially yeah. considering... Uh, warnings cover areas like Al-Mawasi and Rafah, and that's along the Egyptian border, so we don't know how much Israel can affect that area. So international organizations are expressing their deep concern about the humanitarian situation. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so this week the president of the International Committee of the Red Cross described the situation as a shattering and devastating humanitarian situation. Uh, They said that there is limited mobility due to the fighting, and that's affecting the humanitarian response. Right. That's another thing. With everything going on, how can they move? Right. And and to those of us who have not been in that situation, Mm -hmm. we just have no understanding of what these people are going through. Right. And, And so I think that needs to be the focus diplomatically when we're talking about these, is that, listen, you're not there. We know nothing. Right. We know and, nothing at all. And and even if, you know, somebody who has been in this kind of situation is talking about, like myself, I will say, I'm not there right now. So I, I still don't know. Massively different situations. Right. Exactly. Um, there, so there's a lot of talk about the, the hospitals and there's challenges with like surgical capacity. If somebody is injured, a civilian is injured. Um, they don't have the capacity to keep them there. They're going to have to go somewhere else. And this is, I would say, all over Gaza. They're having this problem. Well, there was a recent report that the IDF plans to use seawater to destroy the interiors of the Hamas tunnels. So can you explain that situation and maybe give your analysis on whether that is the best way to defeat Hamas? Like, Because the only way that would work is if they closed off the exits, right? Right, and they're using seawater. They're not just pumping in fresh water, which Hamas could, you know, use for other purposes. So this is a direct effect towards Hamas. I do yep. think seawater is smarter. Yeah, they're not yeah. wasting fresh water. Exactly. Yeah. Um, now, like you said, the the IDF is considering using seawater to flood the those uh, Hamas tunnels in the Gaza Strip. Something that Hamas said is not for civilian use, so it it is something that you would think, that's a good idea. Use that since it's only used by Hamas. Now, the plan involves setting up water pumps near the Al-Shati refugee camp, um, and those pumps are capable of pumping thousands of cubic meters of water per hour into the tunnels. Now, the IDF chief of staff acknowledged the existence of that underground infrastructure in Gaza, and he stated that it's not just this. It's various means, including the flooding, that are being evaluated to deprive Hamas of that underground tunnel asset. Now, remember, that's Hamas used those tunnels in order to plan the October 7th attack. So that's what they want to do. Now, 
As for the analysis on whether this is the best way to defeat Hamas right now, it's important to note that the effectiveness of such a strategy depends on multiple factors. So flooding the tunnels could disrupt Hamas's underground network, could impede their ability to use them for military operations, and then it also has a potential to limit their strategic capabilities. But the success of this approach would depend on the accuracy of intelligence regarding those tunnel locations. They could be just pumping water into a random spot. Right. It also depends on the speed at which the IDF can implement the plan, because if they don't do it now... They're going to leave and find some other avenue. To... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hide. Some other place for, to hide. For us to figure that out, for, you know, us here. Sitting here out. in our cozy houses. Right. You know Hamas is thinking about it. Right. And then we also have to think about what is Hamas's adaptability in a response to that. So what would they be thinking about doing? Now, also, what the media does here is they get this this information from somebody, this list of different ways that Israel's going to do this. And then they highlight the one that's the most interesting to them or the one that seems the most far-fetched. Not that this is that one that's far-fetched, but the one that's most interesting. But this tactic seems to be one of several methods that the IDF is, is considering to address that complex challenge posed by Hamas. Do you know any of the other ones? Yeah. So they said that, um, so, so you've got the flooding. There's mm -hmm. also a plan um, for, you know, flamethrowers. They're, you know, like World War II style. Oh, There's, geez. There is a full on in, you know, man on man combat into the tunnels, you know, okay. detonation of the tunnels through also TNT. reminiscent of world war ii yeah so there's some basic ways they can do it i think what the media picked up on was this is a very interesting plan right that you have in place um and i think the media wants to see it play out so that they can continue to report on it so yeah. they can continue to report on it like something's stopping them from reporting well, on these conflicks. The, the truth. If it's this, boring. This they stuff. just don't want to do it. They're like, this is a boring war. I don't want to talk about it anymore. You know, kind of like how they're hardly talking about Russia yeah. and Ukraine. And unfortunately, those are the conversations that happen on on the floor of various news or media sites, right? And that's why we're here, folks. Yeah. We'll give you the boring stuff, too. Yeah, we'll talk about the boring stuff. It's not even boring. It's still something that affects everybody on the planet. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but what's going to get the clicks? I don't think, I mean, for this podcast, we don't care about what gets the clicks. Yeah, we don't care about clicks. Get you, get I the mean, information obviously. out there. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> uh, but what the IDF is going to do, they're going to make a decision on the best way to defeat Hamas. Um, that's through a careful assessment of uh, risk analysis, you know, benefits, risks associated now, the risks associated, I will say that they're, they're looking for is protection of their own military, protection of their own people. So what I talked about, sort of the hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat, that's not going to happen. They're not going to send IDF forces into the, um, into the tunnels to fight Hamas because that's a death sentence for every one of those right. military personnel. Um, they're also, they also want to consider other military and diplomatic options that are available, but they they want to achieve their desired objective, which is to destroy Hamas. Well, thank you for the breakdown there. Let's shift focus and discuss Putin's recent trip to the Middle East. There are quite a few intriguing aspects of this story I'd like for us to touch on. One being 
How is he able to travel with an active warrant for his arrest from the International Criminal Court? Well, first, the, so the short answer to that one, b- before you know, the TLDR, um, mm-hmm. it, neither the UAE nor Saudi Arabia is party to the ICC. Okay. They don't recognize it? Correct. So okay. they don't have to arrest him. But that didn't mean he wasn't worried about it because he, when he took off from Moscow, he was flanked by four Su-35 Russian fighter jets. That's one of their their best fighter jets. Wow, that's so extra. <laughs> so what is he trying to gain from this trip? Well, he's expected to discuss the Israeli-Hamas war, uh, the war in Ukraine. But I think what he's really going to talk about is the shared economic interests of Russia and those major oil-producing nations. He really wants to bolster his partnerships with Gulf nations because of, you know, Russia's isolated by the West. They need to improve their economy. Uh, This is an opportunity for Putin to sway leaders in these Western-friendly nations like the UAE and Saudi Arabia away from those alliances. They move away from the U.S., the U.K., and France, and it's all part of a bigger geopolitical plan for Russia, China, and Iran. They want to get those oil produce those rich oil producing nations into BRICS, the BRICS plus. Right. And then move away from trading resources backed by the U.S. dollar. This has been in the works for a few years now. We've discussed it on this podcast. Yeah. BRICS plus wants its own currency that is going to be the petro currency for the entire world. (laughs) Well, first of all, what is petro currency? Oh, that's just the practice of using um, a specific currency, the U.S. dollar right now as currency used to price oil in the international market. Okay. So it has to do with oil. Okay. Yeah. So it means that oil-producing countries receive payment for their oil exports, but they have to do it in the form of the designated currency, that being the U.S. dollar. And then that can then be used to purchase goods and services from other countries. It's one of the ways the U.S. dollar remained strong after we went away from the gold standard. So a move away from the dollar as the petrocurrency is going to have a dramatic impact on the strength of the dollar. So that is going to be something to keep an eye on for 2024 as we identify key events within the global economic sector. So let's continue the discussion of Russia's global ambitions and talk about the recent news out of Niger. Can you explain what is going on there with the relationship between Russia and Niger? Yeah, so... Uh, so Niger? Niger? Is it Niger? It's Niger. Yeah, Niger. Oh my gosh. I, apo- I apologize, Niger. Um, well, they recently terminated two military agreements with the European Union. Those agreements were aimed at curbing violence in the Western Sahel region of Africa. Uh, that, you know, we talked about the recent coup that happened there. So the country has a new army leadership. They've expressed interest in strengthening military cooperation with the, with the Russian Federation. This move is honestly not surprising to you and me. It's been in the news for a while. We've discussed it for a while. It's also been the focus of both Russia and China. They want to move these African nations away from France, the U.S., and the U.K. They do this. They talk about, um, well, they utilize anti-Western propaganda within Africa. And that's where we're seeing this shift. So those countries, the Russia, China, Iran, they've been highlighting the colonialization of the West and the the negative impact that has on Africa. Uh, what are they calling? What do they call what they're doing? They call it promoting the global South. 
okay. propping up the global south. Uh, but we also have saying there's so when the coup happened in Niger and in Burkina Faso and those other countries in the Western Sahel, mm-hmm. Western nations put sanctions on those countries saying these sanctions will be in place until you get you put leadership back in a legitimate elected leadership back in. Mm-hmm. And as those sanctions got put in place due to the, the recent coups in the region, it that did a lot to hurt relations between Africa, those African nations and the West. the West. Yeah. I mean, I get it. They're yeah. already struggling, and then you take away one of the only lifelines they have. Right. You're you're exactly right. And, and as somebody who has seen those countries, uh, understanding the, you know, the economic crisis that goes on, even without right. the sanctions, there was an economic crisis. So do you think African nations like Niger will play a role in a global conflict? And if you do think so, um, what would that role look like? So I have no doubt that the African continent, just like in World War II, is going to be one of the fronts in a global conflict. Okay. That's because China's already begun establishing military bases and because they want to counter the U.S. influence in that region. So what countries do China does China have do China what countries does China have a military base in well for starters um, one that I saw personally uh, they were building a naval base in Djibouti and that was while I was out there in 2016 that base is complete I think it was completed in 2018 Uh, there's also plans to establish bases in Angola Kenya the Seychelles and Tanzania countering that well not even not countering that but bolstering that is Russia. So they made a pact with Sudan to set up a naval base with about 300 Russian troops um, and at the same time keep up to four Navy ships, including nuclear-powered ones. Now, Russia has also signed uh, military cooperation agreements with countries like Nigeria and Ethiopia. And then the Central African Republic, uh, colloquially known as uh, CAR, C-A-R, has also requested a military base from they Russia. They requested it? Yes. Um, a lot of stuff going on in CAR. That's a whole podcast we could do uh, about the, that entire process. Um, okay. It is a tragi- tra- tragedy that's going on there with the resources getting pulled. Um, and By whom? Who's pulling the... That? China and Russia. Um, but And then they're requesting for further like influence? Like they want... Yep. Okay... Yeah, because yeah, of this maybe propaganda. Is it a lesser of two evils kind of thing for them? So um, they are. it's all about who is giving the most money. Okay. And so right now, China has provided Carr with, you know, the government, the leadership there. I'm yeah. not talking about legitimate finances or legitimate economic support. Or things that are helping the civilians right. that are struggling. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're talking about all of this. We're talking about the governments of all these countries. And they're very corrupt. That That's also a dynamic of power, right? It's very right. corrupted Difficult. very easily. Yeah. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Oh, my gosh. I was about to say the same thing. Oh, we're good. We got yeah, it. We're good. We're good. Um, But this has completely changed the geopolitical landscape in Africa. Wow. So every single continent is feeling the effects of this great power conflict. So everybody wants to be number one. <laughs> so let's... 
shift to Belarus, where Belarusian President Alexander Lukashenko met China's leader Xi Jinping in Beijing for the second time this year. Lukashenko received a lot of support from Russia. So what is his angle here in meeting with Xi? Or is this basically a proxy meeting facilitated by Russia? Well, that's a very interesting angle. Um, so I just want to get to what happened first. We can talk about the the proxy meeting that could very well be. Here's what happened. Uh, Belarusian President Lukashenko and Xi Jinping recently met in Beijing. They called it a working visit that included a working lunch that had three hours of conversation. I have a working lunch every day, so I understand uh, what that does. It just means I don't have to take time off. and I can come home earlier than I would. <laughs> I don't think that's what that I don't think that's what they meant by it. No, probably not. But during the meeting, Lukashenko has expressed his interest in expanding Belarus's commercial ties with China, especially given the continued sanctions imposed by the West. Lukashenko also praised China's Belt and Road Initiative, which we'll talk about later, and suggested that the world would be grateful for China's efforts to bring countries together. This is in contrast to Western countries, which he said were trying to divide everybody. Um, now, Xi, for his part, offered to enhance coordination and cooperation between China and Belarus. This is in like, multilateral mechanisms. That's like the United Nations. But I think what they're really wanting to promote is the Shanghai Corporation Organization we talked about six months ago. Cooperation? Yeah, Shanghai Cooperation Organization. Okay, you said corporation. Ooh, I did that about six months ago, if I remember. Yeah. But it's cooperation. Cooperation. That's okay. Now, if you asked, is Russia using Belarus as a proxy to enhance right. standing in the world? Yeah, of course. Right. Um, but I don't know if that's what this meeting was part of. I think Belarus sees that they need more support than just Russia to prop up their economy. And they just want to continue to strengthen those ties with China, which every, you know, Russia's trying to do, Iran's trying to do. They're just getting into the game and they want to help their economy. Well, I'm glad you brought up the Belt and Road Initiative because this week, Italy officially pulled out of the flagship Chinese project. How does this change the geopolitical landscape and what is next for Italy's international relations? Oh, that's that's a great question. Um, something we've talked about for a while. We have been consistent in how we talk about it because we warn against going into debt with the Chinese Communist Party. We don't need the Chinese Communist Party to get us into debt. We're in debt. You're saying the country. <laughs> we do it ourselves. Yeah, we do it ourselves. Uh, Italy becomes one of the first governments to heed our warning. So whoever's listening from Italy, good job. Uh, they did notify Beijing that it's going to cease participating in the initiative ahead of that deadline um, at the end of this year. Now, European leaders also expressed that uh, while China was the European Union's most important trading partner, Right. They, they're clear imbalances and differences that need to be addressed. China's not holding up their end of the bargain, according to the European Union. Italy was also, so we talk about cracks in the armor. Italy was the largest of the European nations to agree to the initiative. So it's a huge blow to China. That That's a, a large economy that's getting away from the Belt and Road Initiative. Mm -hmm. Right now, it remains to be seen if the other European Union nations will follow Italy, but uh, right now the Italians have taken the side of the West against China and the Global South. So really interested to see how this all shapes up in 2024. 
What other EU nations went along with the Belt and Road Initiative? I can't remember. Do you remember? So, well, yeah, it's a lot of... Um, micronations? Micronations, pro-Russian nations. So okay. it's it doesn't... It's clear that they'll probably not go away from the Belt and Road Initiative. But okay. what's interesting is if one of them does, there could be a domino effect. Yeah, I was about to say, that sounds like a domino. Yep. <laughs> All right, well... Let's continue talking about China, and we need to discuss the recent report that Meta, the company that owns Facebook and Instagram and I'm sure other things, TikTok, do they own TikTok too? I don't know. So uh, as far as I know, they own Facebook and Instagram, among other things. Um, They took down some Chinese troll farm accounts ahead of the elections in 2024. What makes them think they're not going to freaking get on there and make new accounts? (laughs) (laughs) So what is the latest there? And- is this Meta really trying to tackle the troll farm problem, or is there some truth to a conspiracy that this is a precursor to trying to sway the 2024 U.S. presidential election? Yeah, there's a, a very interesting report. Uh, you you ask what other, so, you know, we have the Oculus VR. We do uh, have the Oculus. That's owned by Meta. It was so stupid. Like, we had already deleted our Facebook account, and then we had to, like, one of our kids made some dummy account for us to attach yeah. our Oculus. That's so dumb that it's tied to Facebook. Like, that's the dumbest. Yeah, I know. But anyway, okay, sorry. That Monopolies and all that kind of stuff. Carry on. Sorry. That's a different podcast, because I'm not an economic genius or a what, you know. No one said you were, babe. Thank you. <laughs> I want if you're going to review this podcast, please five stars and Kervin is an ec- economic genius. Do not put that in reviews. That. I will respond <laughs> to the it, contrary. It, to the contrary. We have been getting a lot of really awesome reviews on Apple Podcasts that I really do appreciate that. Oh yeah, and we haven't mentioned that. Sorry. It has you know pushed us up in our spirits. That and our ranking in the in Sweden and the U.S. podcast. I love Sweden. I love we the got U.S. To, too. But we I got up to forty six in Sweden. We got up. Oh my gosh! Mm, you didn't tell me that. Um, and we're we're still in the Swedish um, rankings, oh. but we were up Sweden. to one hundred seventy in in the U.S. And it is because I mean, you know, doing the analysis of it, it's because of those reviews. So we we thank you very much. Yeah, that. thank you so much. Moving to what Meta is doing. Yeah. <laughs> did, so you you were talking about, did they really do this or is mm-hmm. there some conspiracy? Right. It, it is a, true. It's This is a fact. They took down thousands of Chinese-based accounts that were posing as authentic American-based accounts. And they made those posts across multiple platforms. All the... So I, I believe Snapchat is one of them. Oh, no, Snapchat. That's the Instagram. other one. I'm trying to remember, not TikTok. Um, and they did that because they said they didn't want to spread false information. Now, rather than, than spread the false information. From China, they want to spread their own false information. Right. Well, right. They, that's, that's, what, that's what they're saying the conspiracy theory is about, right? Exactly. But the, it wasn't really spreading false information. This ties into like the difference between misinformation and disinformation. If you if you give a little bit of truth and then tie a conspiracy to it, you can affect the narrative. Right. What this what happened here was the accounts on what made it so interesting is because 
I can see what China's doing here. The accounts on Facebook copied and pasted posts on Twitter, or X, from politicians on both sides of the political aisle. They had posts from Nancy Pelosi, the Democrat from California. America already is sick and tired of our politicians, yeah, <laughs> like, on they, both sides of the aisle. Like, they, everybody, everybody I've spoken to, they're just, like, not excited for this election at all. It seems like everybody doesn't like Nancy Pelosi. Matt Gates was another one. No one, everybody doesn't like anybody. Right. They're ready for the whole thing to just be cleaned out so we could start fresh. Yeah, and and these posts are the reason why, and because we can have all these arguments of, mm-hmm. I, I don't like Pelosi, I don't like Gates, I don't like whoever, right? Mm-hmm. But the majority of people will view it from their own worldview. And while they may say, I don't like someone like Nancy Pelosi, a post that may be more left-leaning or progressive is something, no matter who says it, is something that they like and, right. and they'll engage with. And on the right. flip side, on the right, Matt Gates post about something, they're going to engage with that. And and so that's why I continue to explain to people, Okay, listen, I get asked this a lot. Who does the CCP want elected as president of the United States? They do not care. They don't care who's elected president of the United States. They only care that the U.S. population is going to fight amongst themselves. Gotcha. Engage in a way that's divisive because that's going to give Xi his opening to reunify Taiwan because go to the art of war. You want to you want to win a war without fighting a single shot. You don't want to fire firing. I said fight. I know. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. It's one. Of the, but, it's been one of those days. If you guys knew how many times we had to restart recording today because we yeah. could not get our stuff together, as evidenced by me messing up earlier and not unmuting my microphone. Yeah. And no, we do not have a Patreon for for the for what for for the outtakes of this podcast. Oh you, no, you do not oh, want to no. hear that. Oh, you don't want to hear that. But G wants to take Taiwan without firing a single shot. So it's basically about just trying to polarize the nation. Yeah. It's not about pushing one candidate over the other or anything like that. Okay. You, you nailed it. That's why I that's why I engage with that the kind of conversations I engage with that says stop like the politician that you're supporting or the side that you're supporting doesn't care about you and what you're actually seeing is trying to get an emotional reaction out of you. So that you forget about what's really going on. Yeah. Okay. Well, we spoke recently about China's efforts in Operation Spamouflage. Mm -hmm. Is this recent event part of that operation or is it a different one altogether? So this one's different, but according to Meta, if you believe what Meta puts out, both Spamouflage and this latest campaign failed to gain any real traction before they took it before they took it down. I think it's crucial that we honestly highlight these activities, whether they gained any traction or not. Because you need to understand that the U.S. government, the U.S. government's complicit in demanding social media networks take down information that the government deems false. But in most cases, it'll turn out to be true. You know, that also gives division within the United States or Canada or any other country. Those aren't the conversations we need to be having. The the sort of straw man argument that's, 
yeah, China's doing that, but the U.S. is doing it too, or the U.K. is doing it too. It doesn't solve the problem. It's clear that this information operation campaign utilized to promote a certain narrative, um, and and it needs to be stopped immediately. I think across the board, when the the U.S. government tries to do it, that needs to stop. We got to discuss these different opinions publicly without silencing certain accounts that may go against the U.S. government or any other government's narratives. There's no doubt in my mind that um, Russia, China, Iran, they're all working overtime to affect the 2024 elections in the U.S. We have to stop seeing that through our own worldview. Just like with China, there's no candidate running for president that any of those, any Russia, Iran, any of those countries want leading the U.S. They don't care who it is. Their focus is on which outcome is the most detrimental to the United States and which outcome will have the most effect on changing the conversation from conflict in Ukraine or reunification in Taiwan to vitriol among our two largest political factions in the U.S. A a divided America is a win for those adversaries. So that's why I continue to advise everyone to push past your bias, push past the, the worldview when reading these social media posts and verify where the conversations are actually coming from. So it's important to stay informed. We also need to be aware of the tactics being used to influence public opinion, not just agree or disagree with something just solely on our political bias. I agree with that. But let me give you a moment to step off your soapbox. All right, it's going to take a a minute. Yeah, it's going to take a minute. I want to get into the final piece of geopolitical news from the week. And I think you have saved the biggest news for last. Um, because Venezuela officially recognized Esequibo as part of the Venezuela state, releasing a map and advising that they will take over oil extraction from the region after that little election that you claimed was not, it was just to see how the people in Venezuela felt about the possibility. They just went right in and changed the borders without any... Very China-esque, right? Very, except they are doing it china is just putting it like changing the the borders on the map but not actually executing that they are flat out saying look we're gonna take all your oil i think my main question is why isn't this getting as much news coverage as what russia did with ukraine or even what china is planning for taiwan it doesn't make any sense yeah it's a great question uh, it should be looked into. And the easy answer or the quick answer is Venezuela hasn't yet invaded Guyana. They haven't taken it over yet. They they put the map out, but they haven't taken those resources yet. Also, South America hasn't really captured for some reason. And and I talked about it early this year. It, it For me, too, I've had to change my thinking on it. It hasn't mm-hmm. captured the interest of major Western news agencies like the New York Times or BBC. They seem to be more worried about this shift to right-wing policies in places like Argentina. Mm-hmm. But you are right. This is more important than some of the things you discussed and what some of the, the people in the media seem to believe. Because um, they could push South America into a conflict. That would be a conflict with Brazil, because Brazil's readying their troops if something does happen militarily. Right. And I know from some sources who listen to this podcast, <laughs> Colombia is paying close attention to this recent annexation. Well, I mean, they should. The, I mean, the brazen 
arrogance to just send out a map, say, yep, they are part of our country now, and we're going to take over taking the oil. I mean, everybody else, it's been, well, not necessarily just talk, because obviously Russia engaged in this conflict with um, Ukraine, but and then, but China, they released that map, changing the borders. Yeah, changed the borders. But it like there hasn't been any sort of like engagement between the two countries militarily, and so it's wild that they just were like, okay, this is what's going to happen without any sort of engagement with Guyana at all. Yeah, and it's something that I think China's going to be paying close attention to now. Venezuela is a a pro CCP country. Okay. And so they're going to get support from the CCP. They're going to get support from Xi, but I really think they're going to gain this. The China's going to gain intelligence on what actually will the international community do if Taiwan is reunified into China. So, what about the United States? Is there any possibility that the U.S. military would be thrust into this conflict due to the oil resources that were initially found by Exxon Mobil? Yeah, it's also that's kind of gross. That's kind of gross. That's like a right. big oil corporate. Oh, I don't even want to go down that road. But okay, yeah, talk about it. <laughs> but it's it's fascinating because they found it. It's not their country, right? And Exxon Mobil is an American company, right? And they think they because they found the oil that it's theirs. They were, I had, from what I have seen, is they were asked to come out by to, the Essequibo region by by Guyana. Okay. To kind of identify, oh, what are some places we could drill at? They found it. I have not, like I said, I'm not an economic expert, but yeah, you can please I, post I the five star uh, that you, I am. You would think that we would have a little bit more insight in, as to, you know, how the oil field works, considering we're from South Louisiana, and that is predominantly what our um, economy yeah. It's based on it. W- everybody worked in the oil field. Well, not everybody, but you know, most people worked in the oil field. We have some people that were pretty close to us that worked within the oil industry. Yeah, my dad yeah. So, owned an oil field business. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what I don't, what I don't know, is the contracts that Exxon Mobil had with Guyana to provide, you know, find you know money that that they were given. I don't know that. I can look it. I can look into it. Okay. We we can discuss that and whether that's good or bad, but well, I just based like why? How could Exxon Mobil possibly get the U.S. military to go there for them? What well, they can't? Okay, they, oh, okay, they can't. that's what. Okay, but that's because of the, that's money? the main question. Yeah, would this be considered an attack on an American corporation? Now, one of the so we all look at. Uh, U.S. engagement into World War II under the, uh, through the lens. And while we're recording this, this is the anniversary. It's the 82nd anniversary of Pearl Harbor. That's what everybody... Oh my gosh, it is! And that's what, um, that's what everybody thinks about with the U.S. getting involved in World War II. But what actually happened was a, um, a private shipping company, their boat, was attacked by German U-boats. And because of that, the the U.S. populations, how they considered going to war changed. Right. And they, they were so much... Think this is like a similar situation? It could be. I don't know right could now. Be a, 
okay, could be a similar situation. Okay, okay. it could. I get be. it now. We just don't know. So, so it's important to note. Listen, geopolitics. We talked about World War II. Um, geopolitics multiple times. Today. Rarely, yeah, I know. But listen, that's history repeats itself, right? That's why I want to keep bringing it up so that we don't forget about how that all started. We always forget. I know, and and we kind of thinking about my own education on World War II. We kind of just were taught that the U.S. was involved, and we always. But we're the bestest. Right. We we were the we're the bestest. We're always the bestest. We got involved. We're because the goodest. We're the goodest boy. It was something that you know we needed to do, and and well, that's we, not what happened. Yeah. We, well, we the, can talk about um, Pearl Harbor after we answer this question. Okay. It, it's so. I what I want to say is it's a very fluid situation. Right. Okay. It could get out of control very quickly. So, I for this weekend, I know I'm I'm going to be diving into it to right. get a much more accurate picture of the conditions on the ground. I'll be talking yeah. to my own sources that I've talked about to, to mm-hmm. see what's actually going on, and hopefully we get some more clarity and and we can get that information out through the newsletter. Oh, that's yeah, that's good. So, is that all for this week? I mean, I feel like we need to. Oh, I, I don't know why I asked that question before. I wanted to say that I think we should acknowledge the fact that it's the 82nd anniversary of Pearl Harbor. And mention your grandpa, Philip White, who was there. Yep, he was at Pearl Harbor. He, I forgot the, you probably, you might not remember right now, but you have the picture and, and everything for the the naval ship that he was on when the attack yeah. on Pearl Harbor happened. He was, you went he was in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, now, what I will say is I'm not going to post something like Tulsi Gabbard. What does that mean? Well, she commemorated the 82nd anniversary by saying, should we have Japan as an ally? Should the <laughs> militarization of Japan should even be discussed? Oh, girl. Um, oh, girl. I don't know what happened to you. <laughs> like, I played yeah. with Tulsi Gabbard. She was a medic at the time. <laughs> She's a different person. Yeah, well, that, you know, the more influence and power people get, they, it tends to... Yeah. You know, you know, you know what I'm saying. I do. Depressing, but aside from Keanu Reeves, I don't see anyone else. (laughs) Yeah. But it is. (laughs) More power and and influence they get. I I am glad you wanted to talk about because it's the 82nd anniversary. And and we should always say never forget, right? Never forget. Uh, It goes with 9 11, it goes with Pearl Harbor. I just realized that we. This is the first November that we didn't watch Band of Brothers. Well, we, we can still watch. I know. Because November is has Veterans November, Day. Yeah. November right? So we usually a nutty month for us, though. We were yeah. traveling. and But that's not an excuse. We could have found time to watch it and kept well, up. I will take blame for that because of what I forced you to watch. Um, and now that we've gotten to the end of this podcast. Don't say you forced me because that's not true. You didn't force me. Also, we're done with the news, guys. So if you yeah. want to like not hear us ramble, you can you know stop. Thank you for hanging out with us this long. But now we're going to ramble a little bit because we were asked to save our rambling for the end of the podcast. <laughs> it wasn't asked. We were oh, gently were nudged. <laughs> we were gently nudged. It was... It was insinuated that we kind of dragged the opening on a lot, which, you know, we do. 
but that's because Kermit and I just really like talking to each other, and it's really hard for us to rein it in. Like, we go off on tangents, and we, I know we it's hard to each other at the conversation. beginning of this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before this even happens, we're talking to each other face to face. And then after yeah. we're going to sit down and have dinner and yeah. and still talk. But talk. yeah, no, I, I. So he's made me watch Harry Potter's. No, that's what I, that wasn't what I was saying, because I oh. know that, I know you appreciate that. Oh, you're you're talking about holiday movies yes. or Hallmark movies? Specifically, the Specifically, greatest, the, the greatest genre of movies, which is and Hallmark he- Christmas movies. Any of them with Melissa Joan Hart, Mwah, chef's kiss. And then they as are. an analyst, you will you will know, like mm-hmm. you can attest. I'm not to an this. analyst, but. But you'll okay. attest to this. I have an analytical view of everything that I see. And, and so our conversations for these movies typically mm-hmm. go with the further back you get in time for the Christmas movies. Yeah. The um, the more problematic, which means the better they are. <laughs> they're just the so, funnier they are oh my god they're just so funny and they're not trying to be they want to be serious and they want us to be rooting for these two people to get together but i haven't seen a single couple that i've actually wanted to get together no at and, all and there's a common trope you know they the two characters cannot be divorced they no. cannot have had bad relationships they either have to be um well, single they have, bad, they have bad relationships Several oh, of them well, have been girls who got their their hearts broken by their boyfriends, but never divorced. No, and they're either still single within their thirties, which is a red flag to me. Uh, stop <laughs> it! No, some people. But the make other that one, choice. Wow, I usually say that Russia's trying to stop this podcast, but something happened with the internet and it cut off our recording. So we're back. I don't know if anyone. I think. Russia does not like, mind that we were talking about that. They're, they're probably like, we don't care about Hallmark Christmas movies, so can yeah. you shut up about them? Yeah, whoever is on the server from Russia that was mm-hmm. listening to us do this, mm-hmm. just shut it down because they were done. So that might tell us we need to get going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably, probably. But we just, we, I... I used to hate Chris the Hallmark Christmas movies, mm-hmm. but now they're just the. I like the earlier ones because it's 2015 just, it, and all, before. Yeah, they all seem like they're so toxic, and I don't feel like they should go together. The girls get mad over dumb. The ladies, sorry, the ladies get upset over trivial things and blow up the situation and makes it more serious than it needs to be and then the men are firmly entrenched in their masculinity (laughs) and refuse to bend it and it's just toxic all around yeah i mean i mean am i right like what's that one about the the mannequin that we watched that came to oh that (laughs) was the the mannequin was the worst the the yeah this Uh, it was chuck's brother from yeah no chuck's brother-in-law future brother-in-law he's married to ellie remember dr perfect or mr perfect or something yeah whatever his name was but um he was in it he was the mannequin and it didn't make any sense why the mannequins all of a sudden lived and why they all like they were a family of mannequins yeah i don't know i don't know but he was trying to get the hit the person that he was in a relationship with to he was manipulating and trying to get his um 
paramour to fit in this box that he had decided she needed to fit in. Like she needed yeah. to be more outdoorsy. She needed to enjoy everything that he liked to do. And he would only he would um call her job and make it to where she had to spend more time with him and he ruined a photo shoot and all this stuff. I mean it was all in the end in order for her to um get with some other guy but the fact that she stayed with that guy for so long was mind-blowing right anyway toxic like i said yeah it's still fun to watch seeing how because the thing is is a lot of people think though like the earlier hallmark movies are super romantic and it's just weird to like look back at those movies and recognize how like non-romantic the relationship relationship dynamics are just really bad yeah really bad and that's what we grew up on and that's why why it took everyone so long to find people not everybody but a lot of people it took a while to find people well that's all i got yeah i sorry we went off on a tangent and thank you mr philip white do you know what his rank was i don't know what his rank was i do not i don't know what it is know his rank I know nothing. I'm basically Jon Snow with my family. Um, so I yeah, they, I really don't know what is They really don't, I don't talk know. about it very much, do they? No. I don't know. He's, I'm sure he had stories. I didn't get any of the stories that he had from, from World War II. But uh, that's probably because he had a lot of trauma. And I don't tell many stories from my escapades. So Yeah, I still find out new things. And I'm like, oh, you poor man. Yeah, I got to be super drunk and just already in a headspace where you feel like sharing yeah yeah Yeah. all right well anyways thank you for sticking with us this long if you did decide to stick with us as long if you didn't that's okay we totally get it and also sweden thank you i love you thank you for pushing us up the ranks there i love sweden in case y'all didn't get it whenever i got excited about sweden earlier (laughs) i love sweden (laughs) um is there anything else you want to add no that's it all right well Thank you for listening to our humble little independent geopolitical podcast. We hope that you found it both informative and engaging. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future episodes, please let us know. And if you would like in-depth coverage of these stories and more, follow us on Instagram at Oakland Analytics. Tiana, thank you so much. And until next week, stay safe out there.